Welcome, I'm Doug Morgan, and you're listening to Uncommon Sense, where we hunt for the truth in the topics you're not supposed to talk about, Christianity and politics. It's time once again for our FOMO Friday report. Yes, it is Friday, and we are here again looking at the different stories that you probably should know about. And we don't want you to have that fear of missing out, especially if you're not listening to the propaganda media anymore. So here are those uh, those stories. Um, we have been uh, covering the DOJ's obviously double standard for a while now. And it has been obvious to everyone that there is just two standards that vary depending on your politics. Uh, Hunter has been a great example. Hunter Biden has been a great example of this double standard. Here is a guy that has admitted to his crimes, and yet there has been nothing come down in the way of justice. Well, this week there is finally movement on that front, but I will let you determine if it involves justice or not. Uh, In a series of, of stories from the Daily Wire comes this. It says, Hunter Biden will plead guilty to two tax crimes and admit the facts of a gun charge in a plea deal with federal prosecutors, according to a new report. The Washington Post reported Tuesday that Hunter who has been facing a multi-year investigation by officials, uh, negotiated a deal with Delaware U.S. Attorney David Weiss. Uh, Hunter will plead guilty to failing to pay about $100,000 in taxes for 2017 and for failing to pay a similar amount in 2018. The tax charges Hunter faces are considered misdemeanors. He is expected to not face any jail time and to be given two years probation. The 53-year-old will also reportedly enter a diversion program upon admitting the illegal purchase of a firearm in 2018. The gun charge could be revoked from his record um, upon completion of the diversion program And this is according to sources who spoke with the Post. Well, the defendant has agreed to plead guilty to both accounts of tax information. This is what the the prosecutor said in in a letter on Tuesday. The department has agreed to enter a pretrial diversion agreement with uh, with respect to the firearms information. Uh, The gun purchase would be illegal because... He was on drugs at the time of the incident, and Biden faced a five-year investigation into his taxes and gun purchase from federal prosecutors, FBI agents, and IRS investigators. Okay, I I just have to ask you a question. If I did not pay my taxes and I applied for a firearm while addicted to drugs and I admitted to it, in a book and in videos on my laptop and things like that, do you think it would take the government five years to investigate that? I mean, we're talking about federal prosecutors, FBI agents, IRS investigators. You have all these guys 
and it takes them five years to investigate something that he admitted to. I mean, I want that job. <laughs> I mean, that that's a great job, right? I can just take five years to investigate that. I mean, how much money did we pay those guys to investigate that? Quote, with the announcement of two agreements between my client, Hunter Biden, and the United States Attorney's Office of the District of Delaware, it is my understanding that the five-year investigation into Hunter is resolved. This is from lawyer Chris Clark, who told, uh, talked to NBC News. Quote, Hunter will take responsibility for two instances of misdemeanor failure to file tax payments when due um, uh, pursuant to a plea agreement. A firearms charge will be this, uh, subject to a uh, pre-trial diversion agreement and will not be the subject of the plea agreement will also be filed uh, by the government. I know Hunter believes it is important to take the responsibility. And I, I, okay. I can just stop there and tell you that's not true, right? For these mistakes and to make during a period of turmoil and addiction in his life, he looks forward to continuing his recovery and moving forward. Previous reports had indicated that Hunter's, Hunter Biden's tax liability was paid for by high-powered Hollywood lawyer Kevin Morris. Morris reportedly footed the bill for over $2 million of Biden's taxes and worked with him on his um, <clears throat> art career. <laughs> Joe and Jill Biden reacted to the news, saying that they supported their son. The president and, and first lady love their son and support him as he continues to rebuild his life. We will have no further comments. Yeah, I bet not. <laughs> this is what uh, a statement from the White House uh, said. Uh, the plea deal was criticized by conservatives, of course, who argued that Hunter Biden was getting special treatment because he was the president's son. No, he wasn't getting special treatment, right? House Oversight and Accountability Committee Chairman James Comer blasted the deal, calling it a slap on the wrist. Yeah, Hunter Biden is getting away with a slap on the wrist when growing, uh, growing evidence uncovered by the House Oversight Committee reveals the, the Bidens engaged in a pattern of corruption, influence peddling, and possibly bribery. This is what Comer said. These charges against Hunter Biden and sweetheart plea deal have no impact on the Oversight Committee's investigation, and we will not rest until the full extent of Bi the President Biden's involvement in the family scheme are revealed. Now, uh, Brett Tolman, uh, he's the former U.S. attorney for Utah, he, he, he talked about the deal this way. He said, quote, DOJ is violating its own internal policies on this case. The Ashcroft memo requires... They charge the highest provable offense and seek consistent sentences with other cases brought by DOJ. This prosecution is an absolute laughable joke. Thousands have been sent to prison for long terms for the same charges, he said. They are ignoring decades of policy and precedent to seek felonies, not misdemeanors, and seek sentences within the guideline range. The diversion agreement on the felony is offensive to everyone not politically connected who sought diversions and were literally laughed at by the DOJ. But yet here, what do they do? They give one to Hunter. And, and you know, I, I really liked the questions that Ben Shapiro asked about the plea deal. 
the, the Daily Wire uh, editor emeritus Ben Shapiro said that the, the media should be asking how Hunter Biden got his money and and cushy job with the Ukraine energy company instead of fawning over President Joe Biden's parenting in the aftermath of the Hunter Biden's plea, plea deal. Shapiro broke down the, the real questions that remain after it was reported that Biden will uh, will plea guilty to the two tax crimes and admit to the fact of the gun charge in the plea deal with the prosecutors. Um, Shapiro blasted the media over its coverage of the news, pointing out how much of the focus has been on President's pain as a father and how he was proud of his son. Quote, what exactly is Hunter's financial relationship with Joe? Where exactly is Joe's stream of income coming from? In fact, why is the entire Biden family making bank off Joe's name? Why is Hunter Biden on the board of Burisma knowing nothing about Ukraine or natural gas or, you know, being a drug, uh, non-drug abuser? Where is all this money coming from and how is it flowing? Why? Are there so many shell companies? No, the real story is that Joe Biden feels better. And if the old man feels better, well, I guess that's what we all could all really ask for, isn't it? He asked why the the investigation into Biden took so long, saying that one reason might be uh, have been because the, the important midterm elections uh, of last November. Well, there's also a significant possibility that investigators did not actually want to charge Hunter Biden right before the midterm elections. And so they wait until right after the midterm elections again in a dead year. Of course, you know, 2023 is, of course, a year with no serious elections. And and, and there there's, there's a guy. Uh, here's, here's a guy that that obviously has the connections to the president. He's the son of the president and he's getting special treatment because of who his name, what his last name is. That's flat out what's happening here. And that is a two tiered justice system. And we can't have that in a democracy. You know, I know this guy, uh, this, 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 this individual that I know is, is really involved in politics. Uh, and, and he contributes his money, he contributes his time, and even holds events such as fundraisers and things like that at his home. Um, the, the the one problem, though, that is, is a bit irritating about him is that he loves the word rhino. <laughs> rhino is, is the term for uh, Republican in name only. This refers to, of course, uh, Republicans that act more like liberal Democrats than they do conservative Republicans, even though they uh, fall under the Republican uh, name, right? The problem with this this self-anointed rhino hunter, as he likes to call himself, is that everyone that disagrees with him on almost any issue is a rhino. Liberals have their rhino hunters, too. The American Medical Association, or the AMA, is is uh, discouraging doctors from using only body mass index or BMI to measure whether a person is health uh, is in a healthy uh, body weight because of the system. Uh, the, the what they're saying is the system, the BMI system, is racist. 
So you see, just like my rhino hunter friend, right? Everything is racist to a wide-eyed liberal. And BMI it has has been widely used because it is just it's it's easily measured. It uh, it's inexpensive and has uh, specific you know cutoff points for overweight and, and obese classifications. The AMS, um, uh, however, uh, said that the, the the BMI has been used for racist exclusion and has caused historical harm. Historical harm. <laughs> the AMA's House of, of Delegates adopted a new policy this month recognizing the issues with BMI. Quote, under the newly adopted policy, the AMA recognizes issues with using BMI as a measurement due to its historical harm. It's used for racist exclusion. And because BMI is basically primarily a data collector, uh, uh, is based primarily on data collected from previous generations of non-Hispanic white populations, it said in its press release. There are other issues with the BMI system too, uh, according to the AMA. Uh, BMI is an imperfect measure because it does not directly access body fat and, and, and is... Uh, is misleading about the effects of body fat mass on um, uh, mortality rates. The BMI system also does not account for different uh, differences across the sexes and genders and age span. Uh, and this is all according, of course, to their, their new policy. Uh, BMI should, I want you to hear this, okay? BMI should be used along with other measures like body composition, uh, waist uh, circumference, uh, genetic and uh, metabolic uh, factors, and, and and other things according to the AMA. Um, but wait, 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 wait. <laughs> I, I thought that the BMI was racist. Um, it has done historical harm. Uh, are we supposed to be using a racist, harmful system now? Because it's saying that we should use it. The AMA is the largest organization of doctors in the nation with more than 271,000 members. And in recent years, the body uh, positivity and fat uh, positivity uh, positivity movements have, have picked up steam in the U.S. Um, they're arguing that obese people can be healthy. Uh, fat activists have uh, rebelled against the diet culture and, and made specific demands like free extra seats on airplanes <laughs> to accommodate their size. Uh, in December, even, Time Magazine published an, uh, an article entitled The White Supremacist Origins of Extra Exercise. <laughs> so so it's because it's of those darn whites supremacists that we have to exercise um, while the cosmopolitan uh, in february of uh, 2021 uh, they had an issue featuring uh, plus size models with the headline this is healthy <laughs> again this is the ama here that we're talking about it's the american medical association people that are supposed to know about medical things, right? That's in their name. When they put our our, our stuff like like this, when they, when they they put out this kind of of, of nonsense, it is. It, is it any wonder why people don't have 
the confidence in our medical industry any longer. It really isn't, is it? But now let's, let's get to some good news, can we? It's, it's only been about a year now since the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade, and yet we are seeing changes at Planned Parenthood. Yeah, Planned Parenthood uh, and, and EMW, which is uh, women's, it's a, it's a women's surgical center, uh, have requested a judge to dismiss their own year-long challenge to Kentucky's abortion ban. Yeah, they're asking that their own, uh, their, their own case be dropped. The motion supporting a dismal uh, dismissal came after the two abortion organizations were unable to produce a pregnant woman who wanted to and was prevented from getting an abortion because of the ban, of course, by, by the deadline that the court set, uh, which was Tuesday. Quote, we are gratified that the abortion providers recognized their case should be dismissed. This is from Kentucky's Republican Attorney General uh, Daniel Cameron. Um, and he says, as a result of our efforts, I am proud to say that the uh, elective abortion industry is out of business in Kentucky and their inhumane practice remains illegal in our Commonwealth. That's good news, right? The two last abortion providers in the bluegrass state challenged the two abortion uh, restrictions uh, in June of last year. And after they went into uh, effect, after the U.S. Supreme Court overturned Roe Ro v. Wade, they went into effect immediately at that point. And the two challenged um, laws, including a, a trigger law that banned abortions except for the, to save the life of the mother and a six-week ban. Now, the EMW and Planned Parenthood argued that the laws violated the rights and the privacy and, and bodily autonomy as guaranteed by the Kentucky Constitution and were able to secure a temporary block, of course, of the laws. But Cameron challenged the decision, which was eventually overturned by the Kentucky Court of Appeals. Now, the plaintiffs then appealed to the state Supreme Court, which ruled in Cameron's favor. And the court ruled that the two organizations did not have standing to challenge the law on behalf of their patients. So you see what I'm saying? They're saying that, hey, you, you're, you're, you're uh, bringing this, this lawsuit because you're saying that people can't get abortions. Can you show me anyone who hasn't been able to get an abortion? And of course they couldn't. <laughs> like, well, you've got until this date. Nope, couldn't do it. The court also ruled that, that the temporary injunction was an abuse of uh, circuit court's discretionary power. Um, because Planned Parenthood and EMW could not produce a single patient, not one, to challenge the law by the June 20th deadline, they filed the motion to dismiss their own lawsuit. <laughs> Plan, you know, Planned Parenthood, they are, uh, they're losing a lot of money. Because, you know, there, there just aren't as many abortions being performed now, um, particularly in, in states like this where, you know, the, uh, they're, they're just not able to use abortion as birth control any longer. So, so now, thanks to Rachel Levine and others in, in the Biden administration, Planned Parenthood is now the second leading provider of cross-sex hormones for kids. That they are, they have been kind of switching into a different type of of income stream, right? Uh, abortion, um, you know, again, they still make a lot of money uh, being the number one abortion provider, 
but um, but that that's going down. The 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 amount of money they're getting from that is uh, that is going down, and so they have had to switch into other things like this cross sex hormone and chemical chemical castration of our kids. Um, but there is there is more good news out there. Um, that not not just not just the these abortion clinics shutting down and them having to. Uh, you know, dismiss their own lawsuits. A Utah public school district that removed the Bible from elementary and middle school libraries voted Tuesday to reverse the decision. Officials said in a in a statement that the uh, Davis School District, located just north of Salt Lake City, pulled the Bible from most library shelves earlier this month after a review uh, committee decided only to make it available to high school students. But on Tuesday. After backlash over the, uh, the, the the decision, an appeals committee reversed the ban in a unanimous decision. Quote, based on their assessment of county standards, the appeal committee determined that the Bible has significant, serious value for minors, which outweighs the violent and vulgar content it contains. This is what the committee wrote in its decision. Last year, the Utah legislature passed a law that allowed parents to challenge books available in public schools that contain sensitive material, as they put it. In December, the district received a request for from an unknown individual to review the Bible. Of course they did. A review committee decided on June 2nd to keep the Bible only in high school libraries, citing age appropriateness due to the vulgarity or violence. Almost immediately, of course, parents began filing uh, ch- challenges uh, to the decision uh, with at least 70 people appealing the controversial call. Quote, it is my firm opinion that the King James Version of the Bible is historically significant. It's not just the King James, but whatever. Very important book uh, uh, of, of scripture with deep spiritual meaning for many people. And this is uh, from uh, Bridget uh, Gerard, who's uh, a Davis School District Vice President. Uh, quote, the magnitude of the value of the Bible is a literary work outweighs any violence or profanity uh, which may be contained in the book. <laughs> profanity, I mean, you know, I don't know, I guess it does say hell a couple times. But anyway, but speaking of our, our public school system, let's let's end today on a little lighter note, can we? Um, you know, I think trying to think back. I think it was a teacher of mine, might've been a professor, but I think it was more of a teacher in high school, if I remember right, that conveyed a nugget of wisdom that has has just proven to be true. Uh, He said that if you want to make everyone equal, that you have to bring everyone down to the lowest of the group. Do you you see see what he's saying? He's saying that you can't, uh, you'll never be able to bring everybody up to the top that's just not possible. Um, there, there, but 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 you have to then pull the top down to the bottom if you truly want equality. And here's a great example of that. A, a teacher union executive in Virginia defended remote learning, you remember that, right, during the pandemic, by suggesting that since all students um, experienced learning loss, well, quote, aren't we all equal? Unquote. Wow. 
This is a great example of that, isn't it? Melvin uh, Hostman, uh, he, he's a, a newly elected member of the executive board uh, of the Richmond Education Association, made the remarks in an interview with ProPublica published on Monday. Quote, the, the whole thing about learning loss I found funny is that, first of all, you found something about learning loss funny? Anyway, I know, figure, probably figure of speech, right? The whole thing about learning loss I found funny is that if everyone was out of school and everyone had learning loss, then aren't we all equal? We all have a deficit, how Osman said it to the interviewer. I mean, we what he's saying here is that we finally have achieved equity. We have finally achieved equality. We are all equally bad. <laughs> That's what he's saying. He's excited that we're all equally bad. The interview then re referred to data showing, you know, learning loss was worse among racial minorities. And guess, this is what he has to say about that. Of course, because our society is inherently unequal. <laughs> so, <laughs> and that my friends, <laughs> is is a great example of liberal logic on full display. <laughs> I mean, seriously, we are all equal because we are all equally bad. Of course, there are those unequal because of us. <laughs> you can't follow this stuff. Hostman, who has, has taught high school, yeah, of course he has, uh, he taught high school history for six years, told ProPublica that he has um, reluctant, uh, he was reluctant to agree to a push for additional instructional time because of more pressing problems, like a lack of toilet paper, <laughs> school buses arriving late, and widespread absenteeism. <laughs> So, yes. Oh, yes. Good thinking. Good thinking, Hostman. We should not try to give kids more or better instruction because they don't want to be there not learning in the first place. And if they do go, then we can't get them there on time. Oh, and most importantly, lack of toilet paper. <laughs> There, there is no solution that we can come up with to the lack of toilet paper problem at these public schools. <laughs> did, did you even know that was a thing? He, he emphasized the needs of the teachers, saying many teachers felt like the only time they had a work-life balance acceptable to them was during virtual school. Yes. We really need to pursue the needs of teachers ahead of students. Yes, that's a great plan there. Not saying that we shouldn't, you know, have in mind the needs of teachers, but good night. Remote learning gave teachers more time. Get this is what he's saying. Remote learning gave teachers more time to run errands, walk their dog, and, and exercise. Just like other professionals doing remote work is what they reported. So this is me banging my head here. So because our public school teachers were running errands, walking their dogs and exercising instead of teaching our children, we need to do more of that. That's what we need more of. 
Uh, Richmond school administrators are um, considering lengthening the school year to address learning loss, and the teachers union is opposed, of course, to extending the school year. Of course they are. The school lockdowns uh, during COVID pandemic caused massive learning loss across the country uh, among the K-12 students in, in the uh, public schools. And, and I would say actually the trend downward of student learning began a long time before COVID, but COVID is a really good excuse for it, isn't it? In 2022, eighth graders had the lowest U.S. history scores on record and among the lowest civic scores the Department of Education revealed in May. Only about 13% of eighth graders met proficiency 13 that's one three they only 13 percent of eighth graders met proficiency standards for the u.s history last year and only about a fifth of the students were proficient or better in civics i mean if you had that kind of track record with your job would your boss be happy with your job performance (laughs) absolutely not you wouldn't even last in, in in the in major league baseball with a a batting average that low. Math and reading scores have also suffered over the pandemic. The education uh, department revealed last year that math scores plummeted among fourth and eighth uh, graders uh, in almost every single state. Reading scores have also sunk. Many students returned to the classroom last year reading at the same level uh, as they did uh, before the the pandemic, putting them uh, two grades behind. In January, uh, a study, uh, the students lost about 35% of normal school years worth of learning starting uh, when they they started doing remote stuff. So evidently the COVID virus was eating away gray cells from our children. It had nothing to do with the way that that it was handled. It had nothing to do with how we closed the schools, even though there was no data to suggest that kids were in danger. It had, it had nothing to do with the fact that when we did reopen schools, we made them wear masks with, with, with holes in them so they could play their, their musical instruments or, or put them in green tents that look like outhouses or, or, or made them, you know, separate and, and, and be six feet apart from each other at all times. I mean, this is ridiculous. And I don't know, maybe, maybe, you, maybe you think it's, it, it's okay. I don't know. I don't. I would love to hear from you on it. And, of course, you can always do that at UncommonSensePodcast.com. Thank you very much for listening. This podcast is a production of Morganite Communications.